verses 24 through 37. So Mark 13, 24 through 37. So hear ye then the word of the Lord. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give his light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn his lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and ever. Father, we do thank you for thy holy word. We pray, grant us understanding. Quicken it, Lord, unto our hearts by thy Holy Spirit, that we might walk before you faithfully, Lord, all the days that you granted unto us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, uh, you talk about uh, things that will strike the fancy of the hearts of men and women, of course. Uh, really, when you talk about the return of Christ, uh, it gets everybody kind of excited and wired up. I understand that, and I do too. I look forward to that day. But perhaps uh, our former discussion on the uh, destruction of the temple and uh, Jerusalem, uh, that strikes the heart as well. Or maybe talking about the abomination of desolation, uh, those things tend to get our attention quite a bit. However, we do continue on here in Jesus' great discourse. This is called the Olivet Discourse, given on the Mount of Olives, probably his longest uh, discourse that he has uh, given to us. But here in our text... Jesus has described actually very good detail on what was going to happen with the temple and the city. We saw that earlier in the chapter as well, all the way through. And we saw that that was literally fulfilled in A.D. 70. The destruction of the temple, just as Jesus said, as well as the city. Now remember, the disciples had asked specifically when the destruction of the temple was going to take place and what will be the signs for when it was going to happen. Now we heard, of course, of wars and, of course, rumors of wars. There would be that, as well as nations rising up against nations and kingdoms rising up against kingdoms. He said there would be earthquakes and famines, as well as a great many false Christs and false prophets popping up to deceive the masses. But when the abomination of desolation takes place, there would be a great tribulation. A very great tribulation, he says, such as never has been seen before, nor will be seen again. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. But he says, be on guard. So now we will consider here the coming of Christ with two parables as well attached to this discourse. One on the fig tree and another on the watchful servant. 
And we do pray the Lord will open our eyes and our understanding, of course, that we'll always remain watchful day by day and awake as we all look and long for the return for that coming of Christ. And I do pray that we'll always be, as likewise, always busy doing those things that Christ has commanded us to do, you know, actively waiting for his return. So having said all that, let's go ahead and see his great coming after this tribulation of those days. We see our first heading, really very simply, the coming. All right, look at verse 24 through 27. Remember, this discourse is all related. It's all this Olivet discourse, and he is giving some answers here. Verse 24 through 27, I read again. But in those days, after the tribulation, so this is after that time has happened, the tribulation here, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven itself, okay? Of course, the earth and the heavens with sky and all that around us. Um, As Jesus said, this will occur after that tribulation. He said it's so great, it's never going to be like that again. He says severe. And do notice, he uses a great deal of prophetic language, all right? And and you see that with the stars falling from the sky and all this kind of stuff, all right? Uh, He uses a lot of prophetic language. It comes directly from the Old Testament as well. The prophets would often use this kind of language to describe the coming judgment of God. An example of that is seen in Isaiah chapter 13. There we read, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened and is going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. And so when you see that kind of language that's being used, you know it's talking about judgment. It's always in relation to judgment. Okay, now what would happen if you literally had a, a star, which is a sun like ours, crashing into the earth? Everything is obliterated, right? So this is a figurative speech, okay, of what's taking place and judgment. So now, was the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple part of God's judgment on Israel for rejecting their Messiah? Yes, it is. It expresses a warning of the coming judgment. And by the way, just so you know, Josephus, the Jewish historian from the time period, he described that there were some very strange phenomena that actually did happen during that time. You can look it up yourself and all that if you want to read more about it because that will be a little bit more extensive. But cosmological events are described here for us. The sun darkened, the moon also, the stars falling from heaven with the heavens being shaken. Okay, Not the presence of God, but rather the, the heavens, you know, the sky, the space, and all that. And verse 26, look at that. And then, then after all that, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now this is the prophesied Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He is also called the Ancient of Days. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, we are told. He will rule for and reign forever and ever and ever. And this is, of course, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, He reigns forever. And that is a judgment, of course, 
uh, of all the earth, the judge himself who is coming to judge, okay? He's coming on the clouds, he says, coming on clouds. His kingdom, well, first of all, remember when he left, he left in clouds. And when he returns, he returns in clouds, that same kind of picture um, as well. So his kingdom then cannot be destroyed. And he comes in the fullness and in the brightness of his glory with great power and glory and and all that in his hands. Now there's an old hymn that you're familiar with. I should have used that one today, but I didn't think of it in time. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for favored sinners slain, thousand, thousand saints attending, swell the triumph of his train. Alleluia, alleluia, God appears on earth to reign, and that is Christ, the Son of Man. And very accurately displayed, even in that hymn there for us. And they will see the Son of Man when he comes. Again, no secret. They will see Jesus when he returns on these clouds with those saints who are with him. Who are they that will see him? All humanity will see him. And the Bible says every eye will see him when he comes. All mankind around the entirety of the globe will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now one scholar said this, the very appearance of the Son of Man upon clouds of glory is itself the sign, the one great final sign from the point of view of the earth. That will be the sign when they see him coming in clouds of glory. In other words, what's Jesus going to do when he returns? Of course, he'll gather up his people in judgment, right? Judgment day for the ungodly. And Jesus will come And we know the ungodly will fear. They will tremble. They will call out for the mountains to fall upon them because they know that their judgment will have arrived. And yet Jesus will first meet his people and they will rise to join them in the air, not by our own power, but the angels will gather us together. In verse 27, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, okay, north and south, east and west, right? And from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, all around this globe. And Christ sends forth his angels in a great mighty power, not as grim reapers. These are not angels of God who are grim reapers, but they are joyous reapers, reapers of the harvest. They're going out and they are gathering the saints of God in Christ Jesus. That's all right, you go right ahead. <laughs> They're attacking me up here, so, uh, all right. But Christ will gather his church. He will gather his church from everywhere around the globe. And he lets us know this very clearly. So those who are still alive, yes, we know we will be changed. If you're still alive when he comes, we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And, of course, the angels sent forth and gather us together. And so shall we be, you know, taken up into the air to meet the Lord as he comes in his return. But those who have died, those who know not the Lord Jesus Christ, they will still be reunited to their bodies as well. Ours will be glorified. Theirs are not resurrected unto glory. They'll be raised in bodies suitable uh, for eternal judgment. But the one who is God and man gathers his church. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and yes, we have much to be joyful for on that day when Jesus comes. And so the body of Christ the entirety of the body of Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, if they are trusting at faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, a faith in God's promised Messiah, they will be risen, whether Jew or Gentile, and glorified all for all eternity 
in the presence of the Lamb. And so there we see the bride meeting his, you know, the bridegroom finally. And so shall they be with the Lord forever and ever. And this is, of course, the gathering. This is what is referred to as the harpazo. This is what some would call the rapture, the catching away to meet the Lord in the air. And yet, as we see in our text in verse 19, is after this greatest and horrific Terrifying tribulation in verse 19. Yes, a millennia after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple uh, was when Jesus returns, of course, but Jesus makes it clear he is coming. He says, don't you fret, I'm on my way. Don't you worry, because Jesus is coming, which brings us to our second heading in verses 28 through 31. Here we look at the parable of the fig tree, 28 through 31. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Literally, you know that it is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And we praise God for it. And for him, of course. And now, having instructed the disciples upon the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and then looking forward, much forward into the future with his return when he gathers his people to himself, we see Jesus giving two parables here. The first one deals with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. We saw what he addressed first with the destruction of the temple and the city, the abomination of desolation, and then he goes to the coming of his return. And now we're going to a parable dealing with the first part and a parable dealing with the second part. Okay, that's how we are seeing this. The second one reflects his coming. And so we have two instructions given, followed by two parables, each dealing with one part. So here we see the fig tree, and he tells his disciples to learn the lesson from the fig tree. Now realize, on the Mount of Olives, it's called the Mount of Olives for a reason. Why? Because there are olive trees all around it, okay? So this is a perfect setting, a perfect illustration for his disciples, okay? There are fig trees all around them, and so these would be tender, okay? And they would soon give forth leaves. So just as they can watch the fig trees, putting out leaves, and soon the fruit of the fig trees would be available. Okay? Um, anyway, the fig trees there as well as the olive trees. But anyway. <laughs> and so they can watch the Jerusalem. Okay? They can watch for Jerusalem, looking for the signs that he told them to look for. All right? So they can see that and realize that. So yes, olive trees and fig trees are all around them there, all together. It's not just one thing. My mistake. All right. Look at verse 29 here. When you see these things taking place, you know that it is near at the very gates. Yeah, there's no uh, masculine, uh, you know, like ha or hoss or something like that. Rather, uh, referring to it is near. Since he's speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem that's on the way, they see the things he has spoken of already. They can know that it is near. For it will and did occur in A.D. 70, you know, the year of our Lord, 70, right? Um, with great severity, great tribulation, just as Christ said it would. And if you read the descriptions of the horrificness that was taking place in Jerusalem, 
Uh, yeah, it was just horrifying what they're doing. The starvation of the people, mothers and their children starving to death and the, and the walls. I mean, there's all kinds of terrors that were taking place. And Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Which things? Here he refers to the prophesied destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. So you see the signs that he spoke of in verses 3 through 23, then the destruction, that means it's on the way. So you see those signs I've already told you, that means it's coming. All right? And remember, he also told them to do what? Flee the city when you see those signs taking place. Don't go back in the house. Don't go down to the rooftop. Don't go back to the house from the field. Flee to the mountains. Get out of Dodge. He says, get out of Dodge. You won't have a chance to do anything else. So get out. And Jesus said, truly, meaning, essentially, it's a fact. You can take that to the bank. When you see these signs taking place, run. Every one of you, run. And you can take that to be the word, very sure, indeed. So sure are the words that are spoken by the Lord here. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of Christ is authoritative. He is God and man. As God, everything that he says to us is authority. Because he is the authority. He is the judge of all the earth. And he was by whom and for whom and through whom we were created, according to the word of God. So he is the son of God and the son of man. He is the judge of all the earth. And Jesus said it will come. And it came, just as he foretold it would in A.D. 70. Just as he said and so that, he said, the generation seeing those signs fulfilled, I'm summarizing, they saw the destruction come by the hand of the Romans. They saw it come by the hand of the Romans, and it was a horrific slaughter. It really was. But the Lord warned his disciples, and the Christians did leave the city. In fact, I'm not aware of any Christians actually dying in the city. They took his words to heart. They took the warning to heart. They saw what was taking place, and they fled. They got out of the city. And they left the fields, and they went to the mountains, and they fled. Okay, over and over again, Jesus told his disciples here, be on guard, stay on watch. It's going to happen, just as I said. Leading to our final point here in verses 32 through 37. Here we see the watchful servants, okay? They were called to be watchful servants, as are we, indeed, okay? Look at verse 32 through 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now I understand that some would take this uh, particular return as referring to the actual judgment upon the temple and Jerusalem for their uh, rejection of Christ, and I understand that, and that's always a possible interpretation. I think this... Uh, really falls in line, especially with the rapture text being, a, if you call it that, uh, being there as well. Um, this refers to the, the end times uh, here we're talking about. Okay, So let's go ahead and uh, look at this a little bit more. This watchful servant that Christ calls us to be. 
So we're leaving here the destruction of Jerusalem, and we hear the call of Christ to be awake and watching for his return. Doesn't mean get lost on a mountaintop or whatever, or quit your jobs. Doesn't mean anything like that. But the words in verse 32, specifically, but concerning that day, that phrase, that expression, signifies a change of subject. Okay, just in case you have doubts about it, here it means the change of subject is the return of Christ. All right, concerning that day, here the return of Christ. So it is our duty, is our Christian duty to be on the alert, on the alert all the days of our life, being the return of Christ. It's our duty because that day will come indeed. If we will be faithful servants before the Lord, we will watch and we will wait and we will pray and will be busy doing the Lord's work that he's given for us to do and watching for his glorious return. Busy doing those things he's commanded us. Remember, he commanded the disciples back then to be alert. And what are we to do? We are also to be awake. We are to be alert. And so he commands us to be alert and stay awake. Now in verse 32, Jesus tells us that no one knows a day nor the hour. No one, not angels, nor the Son himself, but the Father only. Now, some people will stumble and trip upon that particular text, okay? And why would they trip upon that one? Because they do have a problem with it. If Jesus Christ is God, and he is, he should be all-knowing, right? Okay, he is omniscient, right? Yes, as God, he is omniscient, okay? But he is also man. He is God and man. And as God, Jesus does know all things. But in his humanity, and here he is still in his humanity, he doesn't always know these things. Now, having said that, where is Jesus now? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. He is in all of his glory and in all of his power as the God-man. Does Jesus now know the day and the hour? Absolutely he does. Absolutely he does. Now, um, while he was on the earth, while he was in his incarnate form, his human nature did not know. Now, Could that mean that his divine nature withheld that particular information from his humanity? I don't know. I don't want to speculate and all that. But for some reason, in his humanity, he does not know the answer to his final return. So it was because of his incarnation that he didn't know at that time. That is all we can really say. In other words, since Jesus didn't tell us the exact day nor the hour... What are we not to do? We're not to sit around speculating, breaking out the math books, you know, in the, in the large bulletin boards and trying to figure out what day is coming back. He said, that's a waste of time. He said, no, I'm coming. Be ready. You don't know when. You're not going to know the day. You're not going to know the hour until you see him returning in clouds. Then you will know he has arrived. Okay, and so uh, we are not to know that. And nor are those who try to... Uh, uh, pretend like they do. is a waste of time. And so we are to quit wasting that time and instead redeem the time. Use the time that God has given to us, whether it's many years or whether it's few, whatever it may be, uh, busy doing the work of the gospel, declaring Christ to the lost world around you. Those who are still dying and dead in sin and trespasses, waiting for the very judgment of God. We must repent and believe upon Christ and we have salvation as a very present reality. It is yours by faith in Christ. So yes, we pray. Yes, we watch. But live your lives faithfully unto the Lord day by day. We do so because he is coming and he will find us awake and we know we long for that day. But we will not slumber. 
We must not be asleep. We must not be in a spiritual stupor. Rather, we must renounce our sins, renounce our worldliness, renounce our ungodliness, renounce our sinful passions. Rather, we wait for the blessed hope, the return, and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as servants in charge, what do we do? We work. As doorkeepers, what do we do? We stay awake and we stay alert because he says he will come when you least expect it. Suddenly, he says, he'll come when you least expect it. So what do we do? Be ready, but be busy for Jesus all the days he has granted unto us. And so the question really is, are we ready for his return? If he returns today, or if he returns, you know, in 50 years, are we ready for his arrival when he comes? Are we trusting in, by faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and here and now? Do I say, I believe in you, Lord Jesus Christ, my mediator between God and man, who is God and man, in the person of Jesus Christ. We must be ready, and we must be busy, because it is time yeah, we have the National Day of Prayer. It's time for the saints of God to be prepared. We must be ready for his arrival as that day is ushered in upon us. And we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory on that day. Let's pray together.